Now, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, the last chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And even though our focus, our angle, if you will, will be found in verse 2, we're going to read together the entirety of the 28th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. I love to hear the rustling of Bible pages. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, will you in your kindness enable this preacher to preach this sermon as if it could be his last? Will you enable through the power of your Holy Spirit that everyone who hears this sermon or any faithful preaching to receive it as if it could be his or her last? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is an historical fact. We are not saying this morning that Jesus was only risen in his spirit, that only his soul was raised, that only through the witness and proclamation of the gospel is he risen from the dead, 
We are saying that the same body that was laid in the tomb is the same body that was raised by the power of God out of the tomb. That his body, though glorified, was corporeal, physical, material. It could be felt, it could be seen, it could be touched. He could speak, we could converse with this risen Lord. Jesus staked all his claims on his resurrection. There is no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have this magnificent account of the resurrection here in Matthew. And I would direct your attention especially to verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I would like for us, as we come to this text, to allow this verse to be our entry point for the consideration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and of the text before us this morning. The first thing I want to point out is this. The stone was rolled away to let you in. The stone was rolled away to let you in, that is to see in, along with these women who were gathered there. The women and others were gathered And there they were enabled to look into the tomb because the stone had been rolled away. Now let's join with them and now look also into the empty tomb. In verses 5 and 6, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. There is an emphasis on seeing, on beholding, and even on touching the Lord Jesus in this chapter that is before us. Come, see. There is an appeal to the senses. The stone is rolled away so that you might peer in, so that you might see that it is empty that Jesus Christ has been raised by the power of God from the dead. An emphasis upon the senses that we find in the gospel accounts. Just as with Thomas in John 20, who had doubted the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas then answered, my Lord and my God, see the place where he lay, see he is not here, he is risen from the dead. And John tells us that when Peter and John arrived at the empty tomb, the linen cloths were lying there and the face cloths folded up in a place by itself so that it would become obvious to them that Jesus Christ was alive, that his body was raised from the dead. Now, people of God, this is history. Uh, This is fact. He rose from the dead. That is history. And the New Testament constantly emphasizes this history. A while back, I wrote a little brochure on this that was distributed by the church. I pointed out some of this data. Uh, There are at least 12 accounts of Jesus' resurrection appearances in the New Testament. It is interesting that the accounts include the witness of women. Sadly, women in that day were not even allowed to be witnesses in courts, but the honest account of the New Testament appeals to the witness of women. Paul says that there were over 500 witnesses of the resurrected Jesus, many of those who were alive when Paul wrote his words. Wouldn't it have been a simple matter just to go and ask someone if they wanted to discredit what Paul had to say on the matter? The witnesses had unquestionable integrity. Jesus' brother and disciples were among them, 
At great personal cost, they spread the message that Jesus was alive, Peter evidently even being willing to be crucified upside down because he proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The New Testament says that Jesus rose on the third day. Now, someone has rightly noted that myths take time to grow, but Paul's words were written just a few years after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead in Jerusalem. Had he not risen, the news of his resurrection certainly would not have been proclaimed in Jerusalem. Just a simple matter of producing the body would have squelched the whole idea. The accounts in the New Testament say that the followers of Jesus who saw him after he rose ate with him, talked with him, even touched his body. And then there's the Apostle Paul, this great reasoner, this brilliant man, hater of Jesus Christ, destroyer of his church, murderer of Christ's people. What happened to the Apostle Paul? He saw the risen Christ on the Damascus road and everything changed for him. He was saved by grace and became a lover of Christ and of his people. And he spread the gospel of Jesus Christ with a vigor that has never been equaled in the history of the church. What changed Paul the apostle? He saw the risen Christ. So it's history. And it is a foolish thing indeed not to believe that Jesus Christ has been raised by God's power from the dead. Why then is there so much doubt? I've gone to the books of the skeptics. I've read them. Uh, Were it not uh, something over which to cry, it would really be laughable to see the excuses they come up with to deny the resurrection of Jesus. Let me tell you, it's not an intellectual matter at all. It is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the depravity of the soul, of our sin. We do not want this Christ to rule over us by nature. We do not see ourselves for who we are. We are estranged from God. We are enraged against him in sin and rebellion. We love to continue that way, and only the Holy Spirit can change the implacable hearts of sinners to trust in this Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. Why do people doubt? It's not for intellectual reasons. It is because the intellect is determined by the human heart, which is a sinful heart in need of the saving grace of this very risen Christ. That is why. You see, we're like men who are looking in a mirror in the dark. Have you ever looked in the mirror in the dark? You go to the mirror, you know there's a mirror there, you look, but you can't see yourself in the mirror because everything is dark. Maybe it's a good thing you can't see yourself in the mirror. Perhaps it's early morning and you'll be surprised at what you see. There you are looking in the mirror. But then the light comes on and you see yourself for who you really are. When you see the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached, the word of God can be read, the law of God can be held up before your eyes. The minister can say, do you see yourself in this mirror? Do you see yourself to be a hell-deserving sinner in need of grace? No, you do not see yourself because you dwell by nature, all of us do, by nature in darkness. But when God the Holy Spirit regenerates the soul, raises you from the dead, gives you light, you see yourself in the mirror of the law of God for who you are, and you will have no problem with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because you know that Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead, is your only hope for redemption and salvation. 
And may God do that this morning. May he turn the light on in some heart here even today. And so the first thing we see from this text is the stone was rolled away so that we may see in and looking in with these women that we may see that Jesus Christ has been raised by the power of God from the dead. But the second thing is this. The stone was rolled away to show you that Christ's word is sure. To show you that Christ's word is sure. Again, look at verse 6. The angel says, He is not here, for he has risen as he said. That's not a throwaway comment. It is a very important comment. A continual emphasis is found in the New Testament on Jesus' prediction of his own resurrection from the dead. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, so will I be three days in the heart of the earth. On another occasion, he said, destroy the temple of this body and I will raise it up in three days. Or in this very gospel, in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel, the Lord Jesus says in verse 21, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he says essentially the same thing in chapter 17 and he says the same thing essentially in chapter 20. As he said, his word is sure. He was raised because he said he would be raised from the dead. Otherwise, he would be an imposter. And God's word to you remains true, people of God. His word of grace to you is still true to you, people of God. It is always true. He rose as he said, and all of his promises will happen as he said. When he speaks his regenerating word to you, it is a sure word of promise. When he speaks his keeping word to you, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus, it is a sure word of promise to you. When he gives to you a promise of heaven, as we saw last week that he did with that poor thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, then his word is sure. There is no soul sleep. There is no purgatory. When the believer dies, he awakens in heaven with a shout in glory. And when he gives to us his people as he does, the promise to raise and transform us at the second coming of Jesus Christ, his word will be just as he said. This is no problem for God. There is no tomb strong enough to hold the bodies of believers when the trumpet blows on the last day. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. He is risen as he said. His word is true that he gives to us his people, gives to us his church. But the third thing I want to say to you is that the stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away because Christ's work was finished. It was rolled away because Christ's work is done. Had his work not been finished, his body would have remained in the tomb sealed behind the stone. 
But go back to this 27th chapter of Matthew, and you see in verse 51 that when Jesus cried with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No longer is there a veil between God and man. No longer is there a a human high priest who only once a year will go behind this veil and offer atonement for the sins of himself and the people. For Jesus, after an order of Melchizedek, is a greater priest who has entered once for all into heaven for us, and the curtain is removed, reconciliation has taken place, it is complete, it is once for all. The angel sat on the stone, according to verse 2. He seemed very unperturbed and at home and at ease. But more importantly, after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what is he doing now? He is making his enemies a footstool for his feet. He is assuring the triumph of the gospel of Jesus Christ by his resurrection from the dead. He is gathering from this world a people for his name from every tongue, tribe, kindred, and nation on earth for whom Jesus gave his life. There was a complete atonement. There was a finished atonement. It is done. It is finished. And therefore, the stone is removed. Now, I told you the Jehovah's Witnesses stopped by my door recently, and I preached to them for a couple of hours. It was a wonderful experience. I asked them this question, among others. I said to them, do you believe that God is infinite? Oh, yes, we believe that God is infinite. So I suppose you would agree with me, then, that if we sin against an an infinitely holy God, then we must be deserving of his infinite displeasure. Well, yeah, we can go with that. We, We think that's true. You don't believe Jesus is God. No, we don't believe Jesus is God. But you just told me that I'm saved if I trust in Jesus who died for sinners. Tell me this, if I've sinned against an infinitely holy God, if indeed I deserve his infinite displeasure, how can one who is not in his very nature infinite save me from the infinite displeasure of God? And I received no good answer. I continued to press and to press and to press and to tell these poor, poor sinners in need of Jesus, don't you see you're lost, you're undone, you need a Savior, you need a Savior, and only God become man could go to a cross. Only His infinite nature giving to His finite sufferings infinite value, only that is sufficient for the awful load of guilt you bear and the awful sin that would crush you down to hell. My friend, the stone is rolled away. Because the infinitely valuable sacrifice of Jesus was given once for all so that your guilt might be removed and your sins forgiven. It is done. It is finished. I am proclaiming the resurrection proclaims the absolute perfection of the work of Jesus Christ. Resurrection means the work is finished and done. My full receipt may there be viewed, graven with iron pins and blood in Jesus' hands inside. I'm safe, O death, O law and sin, ye cannot bring me guilty in, for Christ was crucified. Do you know that Christ? Have you trusted in that Christ who alone can forgive and pardon because he alone can make a sufficient, adequate, 
infinitely valuable sacrifice for your sins. But the fourth thing I want you to see is that the stone was rolled away to let you go through. The stone was rolled away to let you go through. Christ went through the grave and through death, and we will follow through the grave. We also will die if Jesus does not come first. And unbeliever here this morning, you have every reason to be fearful of death. I read this quotation from Jonathan Edwards to uh, our Vespers a Wednesday night back. The wrath of God, says Edwards, the wrath of God is like great waters that are dammed for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is let loose. It is true that judgment against your evil works has not been executed hitherto. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld, but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing, and you are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty, and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds the waters back, that are unwilling to be stopped and press hard to go forward. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open, and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than it is, yea, 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand and endure the wrath of God. That is what my sin and your sin deserves. Yes, indeed, unbeliever, as you look toward death and you look toward judgment, you have every reason to fear, but Christ died. But Christ has been raised from the dead by the power of God. And if you trust in him, no believer has reason to fear because all of that pent-up infinite wrath was poured out upon Jesus Christ in the place of sinners who trust in Christ. And now he is raised from the dead, intercedes for his people, and promises us eternal life. The debt has been paid. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not in the tomb. Do you hear? He is not there. The devil could not keep him. Death could not keep him. He was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He has the keys of death and hell. And the writer of the book of Hebrews speaks to those who fear the judgment and death to come. And he says that Christ delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And if you are captured by the fear of death, you come to Christ because Christ accomplished the death of death. The stone is rolled away. He has gone through the tomb. He has gone through the experience of death before you, people of God, so that you may not fear death. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
It's a wondrous thing that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Using that wondrous agricultural term, it means that Christ's resurrection, Christ's resurrection is the beginning of the resurrection harvest. That his resurrection is the first part of the entirely anticipated crop. And you know what the Apostle Paul also says in that chapter? He says to us, people of God, that the believer is not simply buried when we die, but the believer's body is sown, sown when we die. And so we stand over the grave and the believer's body is lowered into the ground and it is not simply buried, but it is sown. What happens when you sow seed? When you sow seed, you look for a harvest, don't you? You stand over that coffin as it is lowered into the earth. And that is not the end. For Christ has not only purchased that believer's soul, but Christ died for that believer's body and soul. And he has promised that that body is in union with Jesus Christ. Until the last day, it will be raised when Jesus comes again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. That body is in union with Christ and will rise from the dead. That is the promise to us. The stone is rolled away to let you go through death and up in resurrection victory. So that this morning the promise comes to all of God's people Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But where I am, there you may be also. And how right it is that we sing The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. As one of the poets put it, We shall rise in fadeless bloom from the winter of the tomb. And I can't wait to see. Oh, I I can't wait to see. Those moss-covered graves opened up and the saints of God Raised in glorified bodies, body and soul, praising God in their reunion. And to see also the blushing, the blushing face of every infidel who has denied the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and all of its consequences. Oh, what a day that will be. And God says to you, that stone, it's been rolled away to show you that death has been conquered. That stone, it has been rolled away so that you may safely, indeed, in a glorified and wonderful way, pass through death. That stone, it has been rolled away and God promises you, when your body is laid in the ground, I'm going to guard every particle of dust and the day is coming in which I will raise you from the dead. Hallelujah, what a Savior, what glory awaits the people of God. And so the stone was rolled away to let you in. The stone was rolled away to show that Christ's word is sure. 
The stone was rolled away because Jesus' work was finished and done. The stone was rolled away to let you go through. But the stone also was rolled away. Fifthly, the stone was rolled away so that your sins might be rolled away. Verses 18 and 19 of this chapter, we read, Jesus came and said to them, This is the risen Christ just before his ascension. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He has given to us his church, this commission. This risen Christ has commissioned us to go into the world and tell lost sinners there's a Savior from sin. That blood has been shed by an infinitely valuable sacrifice that Jesus, the Son of God, can give eternal life. And he disciples the nations unto himself. The stone was rolled away so that your sins might be rolled away. How many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? It uh, used to be that many, many people read it, but fewer read it nowadays. But, oh, you're in for a treat. You need to go get the book and you need to read The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It's an allegory, you know. It speaks of a man named Christian, and he has this tremendous load on his back. It's representative of his guilt that is just burdening him down. And he is weighed down, and he doesn't know how to get rid of it. But Evangelist, evangelist points him to the cross. And Bunyan tells us that just as Christian came up with his cross to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell off his back and began to tumble and so continued to till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. The stone was rolled away, you see. He came to the cross. The cross loosed the burden from his back. The burden rolled into the empty tomb to be seen no more. This is the glory of the stone rolled away. That stone has been rolled away so that your sins might be rolled into the empty tomb, the weight of your guilt be removed, your sins be forgiven for time and for eternity. And now every believer who waits the future resurrection is by the Holy Spirit already raised at the core of his being by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. For once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Well, truly these are wondrous things on this Easter morning, are they not, people of God? Do we not have much for which to be thankful and to rejoice? Shouldn't this define all of life for us? Now, the great question of the ages has been, who can roll back the stone? The great question of religion, of philosophy, of every heart, really, is who could roll back the stone? Who can remove death? Some have looked to philosophy for it. Others have looked to Buddha. Some have looked to Mohammed. Others look to religion. Some look to their own morality. Some even look to political structures. Not that long ago, there was a missionary who gave to a brilliant Chinese young man a New Testament. 
That young man had never seen a New Testament before. And here is his testimony. I took the New Testament home with me. I sat down on the floor and read it through before I did anything else. I have read the great writings of Confucius. I wanted to satisfy my hungry heart there. I knocked at the door, but no answer came, for Confucius was dead. I read the message of Buddhism, seeking that for which my soul so profoundly longed. I knocked at the door of Buddha, but no answer came, for Buddha was dead. I read the Quran. My soul longed to find peace there. I knocked at the door, but no answer came, for Muhammad was dead. I read the writings of the great patriots and religious leaders of the past. I knocked, but no answer came. While reading this New Testament, I found that it claimed its author to be alive. I knocked at that door. I found the living Christ. He came into my soul. Here my hungry heart found peace, a peace for which it is long. No, my friend, you will not find it in philosophy. You will not find life in morality. You will not find salvation in your works or merit. You don't have any. You won't find it in religion. You won't find it in the Quran. You won't find it in Muhammad. You won't find it in Buddha. You won't find it in Confucius. Only Jesus Christ went to a cross and rose from the dead, and only in and through him will your sins be forgiven, and will you find life forevermore. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Are you living in fear in your heart? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. The message of the angel and the message of Jesus to you this morning is trust in me and be not afraid. Believe in Christ. Hear his word. Be not afraid because death and Jesus cannot coexist. You remember there was a little girl that was dead and Jesus came and in Aramaic said Talitha kum and raised her up from her deathbed. You remember on another occasion that there was a young man that was, that was dead, and, and as the funeral cortege came by, Jesus raised him up uh, from his bed, and he went home rejoicing. Do you remember that Jesus had a friend whose name was Lazarus who died, and that Jesus, four days after his death, arrived, and he said, roll away the stone. And then he cried out, Lazarus, come forth! Some of the old preachers used to say, had he not been specific, they all would have come forth. (laughs) Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth from the grave, appeared bound hand and foot with grave clothes, unloose his grave clothes. He is alive. And this, of course, is only an anticipation of the last day when Jesus comes again and he says to all of the graves, open up. All of the molecules come back together. All of the dust be reunited. Come, 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 my people. Come to me. Live with me. Be glorified. Be glorified. May the Spirit of God transform your bodies. May you live with me and for me forever and ever and ever. But also, as we think of Lazarus, we think of this not only as an anticipation of the last day, but also as a wonderful picture of the effectual drawing of God as he calls lost dead sinners out of the grave of the sin that we, we find ourselves in by nature. And he raises us from the dead. And Jesus says to dead souls, come forth. And when he says, come forth, we come forth. Oh God, will you raise the dead this morning? 
Lord, will you raise the dead by sovereign free grace this morning? Will you say the name of some person here and will you say, come forth from the grave of sin and may you come forth by his sovereign free grace. May your voice be heard by that man, by that woman, by that child who is still spiritually dead and has yet to believe in Christ and trust the gospel of free grace. May your burden this morning be cast from your back at the foot of the cross. May it roll into the tomb and may it there be buried forever. For the stone has been rolled away and Christ is risen from the dead. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.